one of the things that I have become really intentional about is not making my joy an act of war. Like not making my joy an act of resistance against other people's definitions of what I'm supposed to have and who I'm supposed to be. But letting the joy just be joy. I'm Leila Saad, and my life is driven by one burning question. How can I become a good ancestor? How can I create a legacy of healing and liberation for those who are here in this lifetime and those who will come after I'm gone? In my pursuit to answer this question, I'm interviewing changemakers and culture shapers who are also exploring that question for themselves in the way that they live and lead their life. It's my intention that these conversations will help you find your own answers to that question too. Welcome to Good Ancestor Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Good Ancestor Podcast. I'm your host, Leila Saad. Today, I'm speaking with the wonderful Jennifer Arnees, who is doing incredible work around the Black mother wound. Jennifer Arnees is an author, a healer, and a transformational coach. She's dedicated to helping Black women heal their deepest emotional pain so they can experience more joy, pleasure, and purpose in their life. Jennifer is the author of the book, Fuck That Cake, The Grown Woman's Unapologetic Guide to Putting Herself First. She lives in Atlanta with her son and their dog, Bella. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. As you know, this is a topic which is very close to my heart, both the work of the Black Mother Wound and the work of, as a Black woman, learning to put myself first. So this is something that I'm really excited to be in conversation with you about. Before we begin, I just want to share a quick trigger warning. Um, We may talk about an experience in Jennifer's life that involved sexual assault and rape. And so if this is something that is a trigger for you, please make sure to take care of yourself through this conversation. So thank you, Jennifer, for being here. Our very first question, who are some of the ancestors living or transitioned, familial or societal, who have influenced you on your journey? For me, I think when I think about this question, I get so emotional. And it's seen it's like a really simple question, but I think about transitioned familial ancestors. I think about my mother's mother and my father's mother. Mm-hmm. My mother's mother had 12, she had 14 children. She was born in 1919, never had a driver's license. They picked cotton their whole life. I think about just the perspective of her life and what, how she had to raise her daughters. I think about my father's mother born in the late 1800s and how she had to raise her daughter and what choices were available to her. I think about Toni Morrison and Alice Walker and how their books like blew my mind. Sonia Sanchez, how she opened me up to have the ability to put my grief into words, to put my love into words. I think those are like, you know, a really a core group of women for me. I think about my mother and my aunts and just their journey and how the world is so different now than it was for them. And just the opportunities I have that they didn't have that, that shaped my perception that they didn't have and still may not have now, just because of the emotional technology that's available to us now and all of the just just everything that's out there that we can use for our benefit. So, yeah. It's so interesting that the people that you spoke about, the ancestors that you spoke about in the familial category are all the women, right? And you're doing this really big work around healing the Black mother wound. Tell us a little bit about what is a mother wound And what specifically is the black mother wound? How would you describe that? A mother wound, it is the first wound. I I look at it as the first heartbreak from, we talk about the mother wound is in terms of the daughter or the child. It is her first heartbreak. It is when a daughter is not able 
to become autonomous in her own life because of her attachment to her mother. She has not been able to individuate and see herself as a single standing person um, without the emotional, physical, mental, financial, energetic, umbilical cord that's still connected to her mother. Um, and it usually is because the, the mother has not been able to either by choice or doesn't know how to um, make that disconnection because the mother herself never learned how to individuate. So she at one point was attached to her mother. When she has a daughter, it gave her the space. Oh, okay, I can detach from my mother now and I'm going to attach to my, my own daughter. Mm-hmm. So you have these two people that were never, ever autonomous. And so they become um, enmeshed in a sense. And so that's really what the mother wound is. And when non-people of color speak about the, um, the mother wound, they, they talk about it being caused by the patriarchy. So it is this lack of control that women have been able to have in their own lives based off of this masculine energy. The right. black mother wound is very, has an intersectional space because it is not only the patriarchy that is, has stripped the power from the woman, it is the imperial racism and oppression of black people that has stripped the power from the black woman specifically, right. which is something that the white woman has not experienced. So that is really what makes the black mother wound different and, and more layered. Yeah. Yeah. So I came into speaking to you about this just before we hit record. I learned first ever heard the term mother wound in 2016. And it came from searching for this thing that I had always carried with me that I couldn't understand, didn't know how to speak about, which was this pain connected to my relationship with my mother. There was so much surrounding it for me that I wasn't able to talk about it because there was the shame of somehow that if I explored this work that I would be saying something negative about my mother, which I didn't want to do. And at the same time that it's not popular for us to talk about mothers in this way in society, especially if you're Black, right? And the the role that a Black mother plays. But I did find this work and it was through white women. And so when I came to learn about your work, I was really, really excited because though the work that I had learned from white women was very helpful for me to be able to put into words things that I could not understand and to understand how the patriarchy impacts relationships between daughters and mothers, there was this whole other layer missing that related specifically to being a black woman. And so your work really helps to take this deeper because there is, when we talk about the patriarchy, I think when it's presented through the white woman's lens of the patriarchy, they're talking about the white patriarchy. Exactly. Right? So they're not really talking about the impact of what it means to be a black woman and the relationship between black men and black masculinity and and being a black woman. And also not the relationship between Black mothers and Black daughters, which is its own thing. Yes. How would you differentiate, like, other than, you know, they're white, we're Black, what are some of the textures that are added, the layers of being a Black woman and looking at the Black mother wound? What are some of the things that, you know... I think one of the main things, and I talk about this in my book, book Fuck That Cape, it is the crown of thorns that Black women wear about around being strong. Mm-hmm. White women don't have a narrative of the strong white woman, the strong white mother. Like you don't hear the strong Chinese mother, the strong Latina mother. You hear the strong black mother, the strong black woman. So there's this sense of survival and struggle that right. a black woman carries that she then imparts to her daughter because it is the only way she feels her daughter can be safe. And I also, when you look at that, the the strength comes from literally fearing for your child's life. Right. Uh, White mothers do not come up in society, any that that I really know of, not in America, where you grow up and you fear for your daughter's life, where you feel fear for your son's literal life, where you pray they come home from school. 
Right. And that is something that informs parenting in such a way. And then you take the slavery and how we were taught safety. You were, you know, it's not like, well, Sarah, when you have an issue at school, you just go and you tell your teacher and your teacher's going to call me. And, you know, your father's at work and I'm at home. And so I can be up there in 12 minutes because we live in walking distance to right. the school right. and they have my phone number. And, you know, I went to, I also went to school with the principal. And so I know everyone, all of these things versus a black mother. She works an hour and a half from the school. How you stay safe is you do what they say. You keep your mouth shut. Right. Don't say anything. Don't you get into trouble. Don't get sick. Don't have any problem because if I'm not at work, I don't get paid. If I don't get paid, the lights get cut off. Right. The lights get cut off then we're going to freeze. Then we got, and it's like all of this pressure goes into this simple thing of how you just go to school and have a good day. It's not good enough to have a good day. And that's, yeah. Yeah. Just going, just going to school. Thank you for sharing that. What's interesting to me about this, not being African-American and not having the lineage and history of enslaved ancestors though, is that that strong black woman trope also applies to people who are not African-American, who are Black, but not African-American. And that, you know, when you were saying about going to school, I smiled because I remembered my mom would tell us, and my mom's not a violent person, right? But she would tell us, she was sent into a school where we're, we are the Black people in the school. Yes. Right? <laughs> so she's telling I us. I was her. Right. So she's telling us, if anybody messes with you, like, go crazy, like throw chairs, shout, scream, do whatever you need to do to show them not to mess with you again. Now she's saying that to me and I'm like, Mrs. Goody Two Shoes, like, you know, top of the class, love the gold stars. I'm like, we can't do that, mom. Like we'll get into trouble with the teacher. Like we cannot do that. And she's like, don't worry. I will sort it out with the teachers afterwards. (laughs) Okay, And that's how I am with my son. And he's like, what? He's right. like, mom, you're crazy. I'm right. like, if they mess with you, if they say anything out of pocket, if you have right. an issue, this this is the protocol. Like right. we have our own emergency protocol right. as black mothers right. to how we deal with things. And the bottom line is, I got your back. I will be up there. And they know what his school too. Right. They, they and, and, <laughs> and so that's not something that white children have to be told or think about, right? right? That white mothers have to pass on. And so there's so much of it is connected to this energy of survival, which is mm-hmm. not imaginary. It's very real. As you walked us through what, what some of the implications can be, right? Just in that right. scenario of going to school. So, so we as uh, young black girls have that and we grow up into these women, right? And what I have come to realize in my own experience was that although I was growing in years, I was not grown. No. (laughs) I was I was a I was growing in years, but I was still nine years old. That's right. I was still 12 years old. Right. I was still 16 years old. Right. I had my son at 32 and I never could say it out loud, but I still felt like a teenage mother. Right. Even at 32, I felt like a teenage mother. I felt so ill-equipped because I had no sense of trust in my abilities as someone to make good decisions. Right. Because I was raised that my mother knew what was best. Like it's one thing when you say, oh, you know, parents know best. But if there's a never, um, the message never transitions for you, you'll become a grown woman and you'll still think, my parents know best. I don't know what I'm doing. That's right. That's right. And it's, what is the process that is supposed to happen? If there was not this thing, what is supposed to happen? I always think about and look at other cultures that have quinceañeras or bar mitzvahs, where there are these ceremonies that help to transition children into more adulthood, right? where different responsibilities and levels of independence, I should say, because I think as in the Black community, our children get lots of responsibilities. Responsibilities, right. But the the reward of responsibility should be independence and more trust. 
But oftentimes that independence and trust is like, oh, no, you don't get that because your responsibility that we give you, it really isn't so you can grow into an accountable, successful, independent adult. It's so you can help sustain our household that we have here. Right. There isn't a sense that you will take this information and then have your own household and make your own decisions. Right. So I think how, you know, the, the, the way it should go is like with responsibility, then also comes a sense of independence. Right. And then making more decisions for yourself. And, and instead, what happens in a black household many times is you have all this responsibility and you don't get to experience independence. And then when you turn 18, they say, you're on your own, get out. Right. And so then you're in a shock and you don't really know how to apply all those things that you learn. And it's like, you're on your own now. Right. Instead of like a steady transition, like, okay, well, we're going to go and open you up a bank account. You're going to put this amount in. Okay. How much money did you make this week? Okay. Did you put your 10% in? Right. Okay. You put that in. Okay. I'm going to buy, you know, me and your father are going to buy a car. You're going to come with us and you're going to see how we negotiate buying a car. Right. You know, Um, there's, there's an event at work. We're going to get you a suit and tie. You're going to come with us to the event at work. And you just through that environment, you're going to learn. I'm going to take you to work with me. You're going to come to work. My mother was a guard at the prison. I couldn't go to work with her. You know, my father was a mechanic, you know? So those are the types of different things where you kind of grow into. When I look back, I do credit my parents because they were very big on teaching me skills like you need to know this. But it still was like a you need to know this because you don't know what the hell is going to go on. You know, like my father teaching me how to shoot a gun. Right. You know, like, right. you don't know when you're going to, you know, it's like, okay, yeah. but they're, these are still survival techniques. You got to know how right. to cook, clean, shoot a gun, fight, cuss somebody out. Right. You need to know those things. But nobody right. was like, this is how you save money. This is how you build a successful partnership with someone in a marriage. You know, right. this is how you, I can teach you how to get a job. But I don't know how to teach you how to move up in your career, how to ask for more money, how to have a greater vision for your life. And what I hear you talking about is is that you stay in that survival energy. You don't get taught how to thrive because that isn't something because of racism and white supremacy that we know is ours by right. Right. Yes. And that's why I talk so much about my female ancestors because even though I'm, I'm analog and digital, my mother picked cotton all her, till she was 16. Like that is a very definite wow. way. Like, so I'm only a couple of generations out where some people don't even have a real connection to right. Jim Crow, segregation, slavery. My mother picked cotton. Wow. My grandmother picked cotton. You know, 1946 in rural South Carolina, I like I have a I have a direct descendant. My I think my grandmother's uncle or her brother was hung. So it's like very it's not like, oh, this happened so long ago. So to think about my mother's experience. She was a grown woman before Martin Luther King came around. So everything she already experienced, the lack of power she had because of slavery. How, even though they had money, because my grandfather was a landowner, you had to pretend that you didn't have anything. Can you imagine not being able to be happy for yourself? Yeah. Because someone would see you. (laughs) Someone would see you and could kill you because you were happy for yourself. Right, right. So when I think about that mother wound, the trauma, like right right there, it's like, it's not like way down the line. It's like right here. And what you're talking about, and this is what I came to understand the mother wound was about. It was not about my individual relationship with my mother and the quirks. And I mean, it is, but it's not yeah. that, that that's it. It's actually being able to look at the bigger picture and understand what was her up bringing? Like what was her experience and what was her mother's experience and what was her mother's experience and how was, how were they shaped 
by these things that were not even in their control. And how did that then trickle down to me right now and the blueprint that I was given? And understanding that gave me so much grace because I took on so much of it as personal. It's personal. It's personal. And it feels super personal. It feels super, super personal. It feels so personal. It feels so personal. And I I even noticed myself wanting to do this thing, which I'm sure in your experience you've seen that many of us do when we're talking about this is to say, you know, but my my mother wasn't this and she wasn't this and she loved me. And she, she is like, she was never abusive, never. She, her whole world is to this day, her children, right? And my experiences were my experiences. Right. Yes. Both of those things can be true. Right. And the women that I work with, I try to get them to understand their mother's trauma Because oftentimes what happens in that mother wound is the mother has a very unrealistic expectation of her daughter, who her daughter should be, how she should perform, how she should show up. And that becomes a really big rub because she can't see you or see us any differently. And it's so frustrating because a lot of we spend a lot of time trying to be who she wants us to be. Right. Right. But then I turn it and I'm like, the same way she has an unrealistic expectation of you, she doesn't really see you. You have an unrealistic expectation of her. You have right. no idea. And I only come to know a lot of this as a mother. My son That's doesn't. right. Nor, nor should he know my life or right. things that impact and inform how things that trigger me. So you're trying to say that as a mother, I don't have any triggers anymore. I know right. that's a goddamn lie because I am a mother and I still have them and they still show up where I have to come back and be like, I'm sorry. I kind of popped off. My response to that situation was not together. So to think that she can't have that, I think when we can do that, we can come with more grace for her Mm -hmm. and then we can have more grace for ourselves. That's right. And it's like, oh, okay. Because our mother really is the core of who we think we are. We we think we are her. That's right. Because it's just how we were born into, like, I'm her. Right. So if we have this real beef with her, we really have a beef with ourselves. That's right. And when we can see grace in her and see her as a human and be okay with that and be compassionate, we can then learn to be compassionate with ourselves because we still like, oh, I'm her. Like, we are her. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But when we can see her that way, then we can be like, oh, then we can use that. It's almost like a trick of the mind to be like, okay, now how can I start to kind of heal this stuff that's going on with me and have some compassion for, you know, the, the, the reality of how I feel about her and choices she made and our relationship. Yes. I love that you said that, that if, if, if I think the beef is with her, it's actually with myself. And that's what I ultimately have realized is whatever thing I thought was being projected at me, I do it to myself in even worse ways. And that the work for me has become about really healing my relationship with myself. And as I do, it changes my relationship with her. That's what I tell people because they come to me and they want to know, how can I have a better relationship with my mother? How can I get her to understand where I'm coming from? How can I explain it and say it? And, and how can I get stronger? So right. when I come into a room with her, she'll I know that crumble. I'm a right. woman. I don't, right. I don't, you know, I don't turn it. I'm not intimidated. I'm like, it has nothing to do with her. Right. When you heal, the energy of that changes automatically the relationship because it's a dance. Right. So. When your moves change, the other person has two choices. They can shift and do the dance you're doing, or they can bow out and they can leave the dance floor. Right. One of my favorite books, I would tell this is The Dance of Anger. I forgot the woman who wrote it. Mm. Um, And I think she has another book. It's like The Dance of the Mother, but The Dance of Anger. Oh my God. It's so good. But she really talks about how relationships are this kind of back and forth. So when, instead of trying to teach, I'm going to teach my mother how to dance. No, you learn a different step. Right. And that's when things change. Jennifer, how did you get into this work? We mentioned right at the beginning that, you know, you had this horrific sexual assault experience. Is that how this work started for you? You know, what's interesting 
is I've always had this after I was, I was raped when I was 17. I've always had this nagging feeling that that was the most logical thing that could happen to me based off of um, my life. I didn't have a vocabulary for it then, but now as I do this work, because being raped is like the stripping of all your power and is like the ultimate abandonment. And I feel like I was groomed for that to some degree because of, I, I always had this, and it's not her fault, but a turbulent relationship with my mother in a sense that I didn't grow up in a home where there was this tenderness and where we were able to talk about our feelings and um, we didn't talk about how you deserve to be safe. It was like, you strong, you go out here, you do it type of thing. And really when you make a mistake, it's your fault. It's like, whatever it happened, like there's very little room for error. And I grew up in a very strict Pentecostal household. We went to church like five days a week. I went to Christian school. So it was like the wages of sin are death. And it was just all of these things. So when I, and then when I look back, when, because when I was raped, I didn't tell anybody. And I didn't even know how, like my whole throat chakra was shut down because there was even a period where I didn't even talk at all after that to even feel like I had the right to voice anything. And it was meeting these women at school, these teachers who were triggering that same relationship. And so I've always known that we had this back and forth type of thing. Right. And it wasn't until about four years ago where it like all blew up. And there was so much I didn't remember. And I was like, hold up. After I wrote the book and after I came, started really talking about my, my sexual trauma, it was like, holy shit. My whole life is wrapped up in this relationship with her. Everything, the men I date, the jobs I choose, where I live, how I parent. It was like I had been under a spell. I was not my own person. And it blew my mind. It blew my mind how deeply the relationship had impacted and was impacting my whole life. And from the freedom I felt from talking about my rape, I knew if I'm going through it, somebody else is going through it. Like, Mm. and I'm the person, I don't believe in elephants in the room. And my superpower is talking about difficult things. Like, I know I'm not the only one. And I know how alone I always felt. So Mm. my thing is always, I never want anybody to feel the way I felt. I never want anybody to feel like, I'm going crazy. It's in my head. It's only me. It's my fault. Because those things almost made me kill myself. So when this came about, I was like, oh, shit. Just put it out there. Just say something. Because it was healing for me, too, to say it out loud. Because I needed someone else to say that it was that it happened to them, too. I needed someone else to say, girl, yes. I needed that. And then when when that happened, I was like, I'm not crazy because I really needed to know because if not, then I was, I was doomed because I don't know how to fix what's happening. And so from there, it just kind of just snowball domino affected. And it's just really about this community of exposing and creating this really safe space because the most diabolical thing that really black people can do is talk about their mama. Uh, that's what I was about to say. It's it's a very taboo, <laughs> it's a very taboo subject. It's beyond. We can talk about everything except yeah. our mama. Like right. now, we can talk about sex. We can talk about right. drugs. We got people talking about their HIV positive. We got people talking about they their pronouns are us and they. But to talk about your mama is still like tantamount to treason. It's sacrilegious. Right and. I know what it's like to have a pain and not be able to talk about it, regardless of what it is. So right. my sexual trauma taught me that lesson. And so I'm now I'm just really implementing it with this separate trauma. Right, right, right. You've talked about the Black mother wound as being a root trauma and a root wound, which as we heal it, 
helps us to heal other wounds as well. Absolutely. Can you talk about that? Our mothers teach us if the world is safe or not. They teach us if we can trust others or not, if we can trust ourselves or not. They teach us if we are beautiful, if we are smart, if there's a world out there for us. So if you are raised to believe that the world is small, the world is dangerous, that there's no place for you, that you should be afraid, how do you think you show up in the world? How do you think you make choices? How do you think you do or you don't stand up for yourself? So when you start to unravel that core wound, because as when we, we know something isn't right with that as young people, but because love is life. We need her love because she feeds us, takes care of us. And we don't have our mother's love. Even psychologically, it is the same as we're going to die. Right. That is also what's really difficult about this conversation. The love that we have for our mothers is literally attached to our physical life force. So when we're talking about detaching from that, it is like dying. So when we can really start to unravel that conversation and understand her perspective and that, oh, that's not a fact. She came from this place or this isn't true then we can start to see ourselves differently because we are looking at ourselves through her lens. So we can say, oh, maybe I can. I spoke to, um, I had a call with a woman yesterday and she wants to move to New York City. She lives Mm -hmm. in a small Southern town and she's always been made to believe because she grew up with these strong black women and she's introverted and she's more quiet and she's more reserved that the world is going to eat her up. Here she is in her 30s and she wants to move to New York City and she has a dream, but that dream has been really cut off at the knees because of this story that they have told her because they think your survival is really based off of you being able to go at somebody and you knock them in the head and like there's a certain way black women got to show up in this world, otherwise they're going to eat you up. And so when we started to kind of talk about that, and understand it was, she was like, oh, yeah. like, oh, I can move. So what could happen if you move to New York City? Hell, anything could happen then. Like, it, your whole life can change when you see it differently. Like, literally for people to really understand. And I think it's difficult because people say, well, I love my mother. You can love your mother and she still misinformed you about the possibilities for your life. And right. you can create a new formation of what your life can be and that doesn't mean you're disrespecting her it doesn't mean you don't love her and I think there's such a strong attachment between if I make a different choice for myself then she says I can make then I'm being a bad girl I'm not obedient right I'm not honoring her right and that's not true this conversation is really feeding me. Thank you for everything that you're sharing. Um, and it, because it's so personal for me, you know, when I came into this work for myself, looking at my mother wound, it actually came at a point in my life where I was experiencing a lot of success and I was growing very rapidly. And what I noticed was I was backing away from my success. It didn't look like the kind of self-sabotage where I was blowing things up and saying, I don't want to do this anymore, but it looked like I need to take a pause here. I need to take some time. I'm not really feeling the energy of it. I don't really know what's going on. I seem to be losing my We have all the right words. Right, right. (laughs) And I couldn't figure out why. And so when I came through doing some work with an energy healer and who's an intuitive, and that was the thing that she struck upon, which was to me a huge because I was like, you don't know me. So you don't know that that is my actual story. And it's the first time someone's actually said it. This is the thing. This is the thing you're carrying. It really strikes me how much of our personal power is caught up in this wound and in this place. And that as we work to heal it, we release more of our power. What I found though, from my experience is that as I released some of that wounding and you know, got some more healing and released some of that freedom and that independence that I was afraid of it. I was afraid of being autonomous. 
of yes. having because we've never transitioned right. Right. into it. It's like winning right. the lottery. You have all of this money. What am I supposed to do with it? No, that's, take it. Get that's rid of it. it. Right. I don't want it. Right. And as I continue what, to yeah. do more of the work, I continue to see, okay, I give myself a little freedom, but there's still all this freedom that I'm not giving myself. And I inch towards it. This year, I went on a very big summer holiday with my family, as you know, and my invitation to myself was go and have the most fun you've ever had in your life and have it like you're the child you, not the adult you, not the mother yes. you, but the little I you. watched it sometimes in tears. Right. Yes. And so I was, you know, talking to my mentor about it when I came back and I was explaining to how it, how it felt at first. And I said, you know, it feels like if you ever had to go in a shower and there's no hot water, it's only cold water. And so you don't have a choice. You're going to have to shower in this cold water and you get inside and you kind of, your heart starts racing and you kind of feel this anxiety. But the more that you let the water fall onto you, then you, you know, acclimatize and you're okay with it. I said, that's what joy felt like to me. It was fear first and, right, <laughs> and trepidation, right? Yeah. And so we, I know so often we hear about this idea that the reclamation of joy for Black women is revolutionary. And it so is. And at the same time, one of the things that I have become really intentional about is not making my joy an act of war, like not making my joy an act of resistance against other people's definitions of what I'm supposed to have and who I'm supposed to be, but letting the joy just be joy. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that is an act of autonomy at the same right. time. Right, right. Because it's so, just about me. Right. And so that's the point that I want to drive home there, because I think we take that strong Black woman thing into our healing. And so we're yes. like, I'm going to do this joy thing, but it's really intense when <laughs> we do it. <laughs> because everything that we do has to mean something. Right. Everything that we do has to be important because there's something writing on everything all the time. And I have enjoyed this summer being just useless. Just watching Murder, She Wrote and Magnum P.I. Yeah. Paying my bills on time. And, but sometimes I get caught up. It's like, I should be doing something. What should I be doing? Right. What, to where I feel a panic. I feel a guilt. There should be a bigger point to this. I need to do, I need to, I need to do a IG live about this right now. I need to share it. I need to write a post. I need to do an email about what I learned today about this happiness. And it was like, why isn't it okay for it just to be for me? Why isn't it okay for it just to be for me? Me, 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 freaking me. Right. I don't have to prove that I'm not selfish. I don't have to prove that I'm not vain. I don't have to prove that I'm not self-centered. I don't have to prove that I care about people. I don't have to prove that. I don't have, just can, can you just make it about you and then just go take a nap and wake right. up, go laugh, go like, can you build that in? And then what happens is when it's time for you to show up, you can really show up in a different way with even greater ideas, but learning how to like keep something for yourself. And it's just not about, just about me. It's nobody else's business. It's just for me. What do you think that we think is at risk if it's just for me? That we are somehow, well, for one, our mothers didn't do that. So I'm kind of, it's almost like I'm defacing her legacy. Right. Like, cause what she gave me was to go, 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 do, do, do all of this. And for me not to do that is like, did she, was it, did she waste all that time on me that now I want to sit up here and eat ice cream in the bed that I just want to go laugh with my friends. I just want to walk. I just, you know, want to shop 
on Forever 21 and buy shit that I shouldn't buy, you know, just on sale, of course. You know, <laughs> like, I think we think that. I think we think that we don't have a right to it. Like, there's something that we always have to be proving and preparing for. Like, something's going to happen. Or this, like, it's just so much. I don't even think it's conscious. It's just this hum of who we should be and living up to this expectation because there's always this thing of like, I want to honor her because we're still looking for our mother's validation. We're still looking for her to say, she's our Jesus. We can say, well, you don't worship Jesus, but we talk about regular black folks in America. Like, you know, Jesus as the pinnacle, you want to touch the him. Really, the the black mother is Jesus, really. Mm -hmm. You know, like we want to say, we want to hear, you have done well. You have done well. And that's all, we just are looking for that. And we're trying to get it from now social media, but it still goes back to, would she be proud of this? You know, can I tell myself that this is okay? And we're we're raised to be so hypercritical of ourselves at the same time, that of everything that we do. I love that you said that about social media though, because something that I realized is, okay, as a child, it was, it was specifically her attention that I wanted. But now as an adult, we look to other people online. Do they see me? Can they validate me? Can they give me permission? Am I allowed to be here? And so we're outsourcing that job of loving ourselves to any, anybody else who can fill, who can fill that role. And it's this hungry energy of like, get, 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 but never being able to fully receive. Um, right. It's like, and I'll call myself out as the first who does this, but there are so many of us successful black women, however you choose to determine and define success, but women who are really doing things in their families, in their communities and in the world that are just mind blowing. And we cannot receive the compliments. We cannot see ourselves the way others see us. We don't give ourselves the time to stop and celebrate. There's so many ways in which we minimize who we actually are and how we're But we doing. have been taught that's what we should do. Right. We've been taught the honor and our virtue is to how much can we do and how little can we ask for. Wow. We have been taught that that is the measure of our womanhood, how much we can defer our own personal gratification, how much we can look like, I don't need to be loved by others. I don't need that. I don't need the help of, like we have been taught that that is our virtue. And when I think about black nannies raising white women's children and how she has to, she cannot say, I'm hungry, I'm tired, my feet hurt. I had to get on a bus at 4.30 this morning. My kids are at home sick. They've got tests. There's a sense, and and she's rewarded for her denial. She is rewarded by giving her full, undying attention to others who don't give a fuck about her. Right. And that is seen as how you move ahead in the world. So everything that you accomplish is just, is not for you. It's to show how much I can do and how much I can, how little that I need for myself. And no one else has taught that. I don't know who else has taught that besides us that you should take some time for yourself. You don't hear anybody, you you don't hear the doctor telling the black woman, well, first of all, the black woman is not going to the damn doctor. First of all, for anybody to even tell her, you need to take some time for yourself. It's okay. Take an aspirin, drink a glass of wine. There is no sense of that type of compassion right. for us that's built in because we are the mules, you know? So it's like our value is in how much you can put on your back. And we've been taught that that is our honor. That And one, we're gonna, if you're raised in the Southern church, you will be rewarded in heaven. You know, that's the bill of goods that we've been sold that, you know, one day when you die, it'll be okay. But we're literally taught that. And it's, it's just killing us. What is it that you are guiding Black women to do to break all of this? Because so many women are in the early stages of it. Mm. 
first is really the acknowledgement. And that, you know, before a woman tells me her story, I say, you don't have to tell me what happened. I already believe you. You don't have to prove it to me. Whatever you say happened, however you feel about it. Right. I'm completely on board with you. You know, just to first feel like this is a true story. Right. You know, that's why I am so vulnerable and so transparent about my story. So you don't know you're the only one. Because once you know you're not the only one, the light can start to get in. And you're like, oh, all you need to be able to say to yourself is, oh, I'm not crazy. From there, you have an inner guidance that kind of is always showing you different Mm -hmm. things. So everybody's Mm -hmm. healing path has its own variations. But really, it's primarily about the acknowledgement of your story Mm -hmm. and that you have a right to it. and just you know, starting to, and I always talk to women about, they always think again, that I'm going to tell them how to engage their mother. This is how, you know, we're going to create a healing strategy around engaging your mother and convincing her and showing her. It's like, no, there's none of that. Like part of the, 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 the call I had yesterday was, I want you to start looking for jobs in New York. She was like, all right. So in a way I am also mothering them. Because right. what if, what if she had a mother that said, girl, you can live anywhere. Right. You can live anywhere you want to. Right. You can get a job anywhere. You can make it anywhere. So for me, it's just to say those things that I know that need to be said and have already framed it. And we've built enough trust to where it's like, oh, okay. You know, and also to learn how to see their mother's life as a real human being. So they can also release some of those expectations you have on her and be able to approach that with more grace. Because like we talked about earlier, then you have more grace and compassion with yourself. That's, that's so beautiful. One thing that, that strikes me about all of this, and again, just referencing from my own story, you know, I had an experience that happened a couple of weeks ago where my mother called me crying with pride for me and my work. She had read the advanced copy of my book, which I did not expect. I did not expect her to do because she's not, she doesn't read much anymore. And even when she did, it wasn't nonfiction. And she read me crying with absolute just pride. And I'm so proud of you. And I can't believe you've done this. And everyone needs to read this. And the reason why it was so why it meant so much to me was as a child, I had loved writing and she had encouraged me at first and then realized, oh, she's like, this is the path that she wants to go down is writing. And I need her to be a lawyer or an engineer or a doctor because that's the way that she's going to have a good life. Um, and so she really discouraged me from writing. And um, there was clear point in my child, you know, teenage history where I remember making a decision, I'm not going to write anymore. And so to come full circle to now where I have done the work not to prove to her that I'm good enough, but to come to a place within myself where I know I'm good enough and then have her reflect back to me, I see you not because you became who I wanted you to be. I see you for you. That was everything to me, everything to me. And at the same time, I know everyone's journey is not going to be like that. There isn't going right. to be a happy ending. There isn't right. going to necessarily be a time when you're going to do everything so well that she'll eventually just come around. That's not a right story. Yes, absolutely. And for them, I always talk about, because you don't know what's going to happen. I always tell people, it's like a 1975 Chevy and you're in a 2018 Honda Accord. Right. Like, what do you want this Chevy to do? Like, what do you want? It's already got 400,000 miles on it. Right. You know, it's only so far sometimes how far, you know, it only can go but so far. So I talk about building support systems with other people. But first, understanding what your needs are. How can people support you? What does it look like when people are nurturing of you? So you can find that in other places. So your cup is not so empty that it's like, this is the only person that can fill it. And when it doesn't happen, you're so upset, but it's like it, because as an autonomous individual, it is our job to fill our own cup. 
It is, it's a bonus to have our mother come in and pour it overflowing, but it really is a job of a capable, capable woman to make sure that her cup is filled because we already know we're pouring into others, you know, but to be able to build that type of support around people and to take away the people who are taking out of that cup, it still feels good when we have that. But first we have to learn how to be able to even receive that. Right, because right. we think we think if we don't get it from her, we don't deserve to get it from anyone. And we have to break that cycle because that's not true either. That's so huge. That is so huge, Jennifer, because that is so true. Or we discount it when we receive it yes. from others. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and we, we punish ourselves. Right. We punish and we punish her. We're, we, it's all a thing because we're trying to, she's supposed to, it won't mean anything until she gives it to me. Right. So I'm not going to take it from anybody. And which is a very juvenile way of right. looking at things. And again, right. that feeds back into the womb because we've never transitioned into how to solve problems. Right. A child solves a problem by putting their foot down and pouting. Right. So we're still using really ineffective methods, but we're still working from that wounded child perspective and not understanding the implication it has as adults because now you're missing out on so much that's really right there available because the world is a loving place. Right. No matter what happens, there's so much love, there's so much support and acceptance of this love that this world can have for us if we are primarily, you know, it's not how can I go out and get love? How can I go out and get this success? It's like, how can I open, how can I make myself receptive? And then it really comes flooding in. That is the work. How can I become receptive? Right, right. And again, being someone who I've, I've had to take a real look at myself, right? And one of the things that I know is I resist receiving help. And if anyone had told me, you carry the archetype of the strong black woman, I would say, no, that's not me. I'm actually a very (laughs) sensitive, very quiet, very, Uh you know, person. I don't have like, that's, I associate that energy with my mother. I don't associate it with myself, but I look at myself and I'm like, well, you don't let anyone help you ever. (laughs) You try and do everything yourself and you want it done perfectly right? And you act like you don't feel your feelings and inside this is how you're really feeling, right? So <laughs> let's be real, right? Um, right. I, I've learned that so much of it is about realizing that, that I have to simultaneously do the work of learning to nurture and mother the little baby and give her a sense of safety while at the same time pulling my big girl panties up right? And making decisions for myself about who I want to be, how I want to be, what I want my life to be, that it's both at the same time. Is yes. that what you and, and the, as well? Yes. And the, the amazing thing is when we tend to that little girl, she is the one who has the answers, right? She's the one who has the power and helps us to integrate and has the confidence to be like, that's what I like. Right. I like the red one. Right. I like the, it's not even like a, oh, back and forth. Should I get the red one? Is it going to make me look like a hoe? Are they going to like it? (laughs) She has been comforted in such a way that now she feels free to speak. And she says, I like the red one. Right. I like her. I don't want to be friends with them anymore. Right. I'm hungry. I'm full. I'm sleepy. I want some ice cream. And she trusts you so much and you create this relationship with her that it's like, oh, it makes it so much easier to move in the world without all of the, the, like the internal conflict about these decisions. I have an idea. I want to paint this. I want to write that. That feels really good. That paragraph you wrote, that was good. That was really, that was really nice right there. Mm. I need some help with that. Ask her if she'll help you with that. I want a pedicure. You know, it's just like, because you have that with her, she makes the other things easier and not like, oh, how do I live in these two worlds? You know what I'm saying? Right. It's like, she has all of this wisdom already that kind of y'all are now like a tag team. Right. So it's like, okay, we're going to. 
I love I, I that like so much. That's really gonna <laughs> that's really gonna stick with me. Um, I really love that because she carries the wisdom of the easy answers. That she is the internal guidance. She doesn't overcomplicate it, which we do. <laughs> if you look at your kids, your kids don't overcomplicate. It's like no. I like it. I don't like. Right. I don't like green beans. They don't like green beans. Right. You know, it's funny. Today I was, um, my daughter's birthday is coming up and uh, another mother from the class messaged me and it turns out Maya's friend's birthday is on the same day. So Maya's been planning her birthday for months. So this mother then asked me, do you want to do their birthdays on the same day? And I'm in my mind, I'm like, I know Maya, she's not going to want to do it on the same. Like she's a Libra. Like she's just like, it's my day. No. Okay. It's- <laughs> so, yes, my son is a Libra. Right? <laughs> so I, I pick her up from school and I explain to her, you know, and it's her friend, it's one of her best friends, you know. Um, and I say, well, this is the idea that she had in mind. And her face was just like, mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. and it was just that. I was like, are you sure you don't want to think about it? You don't want to. That's what I would do. Maybe I should. What will she say? Maybe she'll feel bad, you know. That's what. Really, is. you know, the answer is <laughs> really, it's, it, we already know it's like, how can I talk myself into doing something That's I don't right. want to do? That's right. Because what's really important is, okay, what if she wants to do it together so we save money? Right. And I'm being selfish because right. of that. Or right. what if she doesn't come to the party? What if she thinks my daughter is spoiled? You know, all of these accommodations right. versus, and then the weight of it, then the day never turns out right. Then you're right. mad about it after right. it's over versus... Right. She said she would really, she just, she wants to have her own party. Right. Yeah. And that's what I ended up telling Hang her. Up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it, 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 that just struck me as such a moment as she didn't have to think, it's not about her. It's my day. This is what I want. And it just, that kind of like self-knowledge really inspires me, you know? Yes. Yeah. And every day is our day and yeah. every day we know what we want. So it's really the, just this, this undoing of how we make a decision. I'm dating right now and out mm-hmm. here in these internet out dating here in streets. These streets. <laughs> out here in these streets. And a guy, I had realized I would let conversations go on longer than they should, even when I know it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I was like, I'm going to do something differently. So the guy was talking and 10 minutes in, I was like, this isn't a good fit. So when my time came to chime in, I let him know. And I already knew based off of the things he said that he was going, what he was going to say. I let him know, like, you know, you're a nice person, but this, you know, we're not a fit. We don't want the same things. And he said, well, how do you, I mean, do you mind if I ask you, how do you, how do you know that? Like, what makes you think you know that? Right. Obviously you're trying to devalue right. what, what I'm saying right now. Right. Right. I said, if somebody eats spaghetti and they like spaghetti, they like it. If they don't like spaghetti, nobody comes out and says, why don't you like spaghetti? And he had nothing to say. I don't, (laughs) it doesn't taste good. Right. To me. (laughs) To me. Right. (laughs) Why do I have to keep eating something that when I taste it, it doesn't taste good to me. Yeah. And how often we're eating relationships. Yeah that don't taste good to us, making decisions that don't, but, but, but our taste buds have been so assimilated, we don't even know what we like. Right. And that's a Do huge like part it. of it, is getting to learn ourselves again, yes. right? Getting to yes. remember ourselves again. And that's when that young girl comes, because she already knows. Right. She's got, the, she's got the encyclopedia of you already down. Right. Like, you don't like that. You don't, when that didn't feel good, you remember when you did that, that when you said that and they said that and that didn't feel good, we're not going to do that anymore. Right. Okay. You know, and it's like a partnership. Cause I tell mm-hmm. the little girl for me, like I jacked up. I'm sorry. Like, what do you need from me? I'm going to be here for you. Like, like we really have real conversations Yeah. and it like helps me out here in these real streets. Right. Right. Because really, she never was parented in the way that she needed. Mm-hmm. So now I can go back and reparent her. Right. So that's the healing of the wound is not fixing the relationship with my actual mother. It is me becoming my mother mm-hmm. that I need. 
oh, I love this so much. I'm really going to take this with me um, because it, it just, it's just not flip things completely, but just help me to clarify a few things about how I be in relationship with myself and with that little girl. You know, I've been pouring so much into helping her feel safe and so that she mm-hmm. can speak up to me. But I hadn't made that distinction right. of that. I don't just make her feel safe and she stays there in the past. Is now okay, I healed my past. Now me, I'm here to be the grown woman. <sighs> Do you see the difference, right? Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. You carry her. I carry her. She helps yeah. me to she be the grown woman. Right. Yes. 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 Absolutely. She's, she transitions you into that and it's, and, and sometimes she helps you to be the child. Right. Because yes. sometimes that's what we need too. That's right. And the child needs help. Yeah. The child doesn't have all the answers and the child is like, what's that? How do you do that? Right. You know, so she helps us be all those things. Yeah. She's a really wise guide. I feel really nourished by this uh, conversation, yes. Jennifer. <laughs> me too, because you're reminding me of things. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> um, as, as, we, as we round up, I, just, I have two more questions for you. If we imagine a world in which more Black women are aware of what the Black mother wound is, and are working, mm. working to heal it and to heal themselves. How or what do you see as being different in the world than what we see now? When we have more Black women who are in that space for themselves. You know, I, I think about the, this, I think about this, the culture of this country. The C, I, I, you know what I saw? I see these, I see Black women CEOs. Mm-hmm. I see compassionate police officers. I see an awareness and a reverence for the earth. I see a a decline in climate change. I see chicken with no antibiotics and steroids. I see school curriculums that are eclectic, and that represent everyone in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, I always say this when Black women heal, the entire world heals. That's right. We raise everybody. That's right. So imagine us coming from a space of power. We inform everything. We are implanted as seeds in every structure in this nation. Childcare, corporate, the education system, the cafeteria, the bus driver, the maid, the seamstress, the factory worker, like we are everywhere. So I see this conglomerate of community that we create and the nature of who we are as being so freaking inclusive that I believe that our power would not become this elitist thing, but envelop everyone and teach everyone how to kind of show up. Mm-hmm. That's why I always know like this work is so, because when black women heal, it affects the entire planet, yeah. the entire, like unequivocally we're there, but we don't know our power. So to right. understand that and for it to be balanced out, I see loving relationships between us and our partners, women to women, men right. to women. Right. You know, I see, boys growing up with a reverence for women. Yeah. I see women growing up with a reverence for, for themselves. I see the music we hear on the radio is different. Mm. Everything changes. Everything changes. Yeah. Which is a perfect way to end with our final question in this sacred work that you're doing and the way that you be in the world, Jennifer. What does it mean to you to be a good ancestor? Oh, man. I owe it to my ancestors, you know, first of all. But to be a good ancestor is to undo the things that were harmful to me. To be a good ancestor means to tell the truth and speak truth to power. Being a good ancestor means leaving a legacy of healing. It totally means, let me, let me make it really personal. And this like makes me emotional. When I think about when my son has children, 
the access he will have to love in his life, how he will love a woman, their children. There has been a, a line in the sand for not speaking what's true. There's been a line drawn in the sand for feeling that we have to give ourselves away. There's been a line drawn in the sand about um, not feeling that we're not good enough. We don't have a greater vision for our lives. So I think about who his, I think about who my son's grandchildren will Mm -hmm. be Mm -hmm. because of who I've chosen to be for him. So, yeah. I love you. I love you. I love you too. And this is why I love you because that is what it means to me too. What, to me, being a good ancestor, the first place I look at is my children, my children's children, you know, my descendants. Yeah. What line am I drawing that I'm saying? Right. This, this was okay before, but then I came along and said, no, this is where we're going to, this is where we're going to change things up and what impact is right. going to have down the line. Yeah, absolutely. Because they're going to go on to schools. That's right. They're going to go into workplaces. They're going to go into grocery stores. That's right. So whatever I give him, he will give them and it will touch. It will just go out this way as well. That's right. And I'm honored. And the beautiful thing is with what you've shared and what with so many of the guests that I've had the pleasure of interviewing in, in this show is that so many of us are doing it for our children or for our immediate family. And yet the whole world gets to benefit. Everyone. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. I hope that this episode has helped you gain new insights and find deeper answers to what being a good ancestor means to you. We'd love to hear what some of your aha moments have been from this conversation. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at goodancestorpodcast and drop us a comment to let us know what some of your biggest takeaways have been. Thank you for listening and thank you for being a good ancestor.